You're listening to the CLE Foodcast with Lisa Sands, the place for delicious conversation on local food and the people who grow, cook, and share it. Here's Lisa. Hello, and welcome to the CLE Foodcast. I'm your host, Lisa Sands. Today, we are talking to Farmer Lee Jones and Chef Jamie Simpson of the Chef's Garden and the Culinary Vegetable Institute about their new book. It's an encyclopedia of vegetables that you will want to get your hands on. But first, a sponsor message from Yellow House Cheese. If you're listening to this podcast, you are likely interested in local food, like me. For us, farm to table isn't just a buzzy, trendy phrase. It's how we live. You can shop an easy and convenient list of food from Ohio Farms and pick up your order close to home. Yellow House Cheese, the award-winning cheesemakers of Seville, Ohio, have developed a quick and easy online shopping portal with everything from meat to mushrooms and eggs to greens. The list changes with the seasons, just like nature intended. I just got an order with cheese, ribeye steaks, shiitake mushrooms, spinach, and eggs. I picked it up at Larder, one of five pickup locations in Cleveland, Akron, and Medina. Order only what you want, in quantities that make sense for your household, and everything is from Ohio Family Farms. Visit yellowhousecheese.com to get started with your order. New items every Tuesday and deliveries on Saturday. That's yellowhousecheese.com for Ohio Farm food direct to you. Speaking of farms, on an expansive farm complex about an hour west of Cleveland, Farmer Lee Jones, his brother Bob, and a team of growers, researchers, and chefs have become the world's foremost experts on vegetables. They've just released a 600-page book on the subject, and we are so lucky to be speaking with them today in between running a 350-acre farm, opening their farm stand for the season, and doing national publicity on this fantastic book. And while the book is a deep dive into vegetables, as you will find, there is much more to the story. So let's get our interview started in this, the first of two interviews. Hello, Farmer Jones and Jamie Simpson. It's so great to have you here on the CLE Foodcast. This might be one of my most favorite interviews ever. And I've really only had five, but um, I'm going to move you right. I'm going to move you right to the top. What do you think about that? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thanks. We're excited to be on with us. you, Lisa. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you. I know you have had a whirlwind couple of weeks and that's really the bulk of what we're going to be talking about today. You have celebrated very, very well, I might add, based on the photos that I have seen, a major accomplishment, your very first book, The Chef's Garden, A Modern Guide to Common and Unusual Vegetables with Recipes. And that's really what it is, right? It really is. And, you know, it's a it's a 40-year accumulation of mistakes and trials and a handful of successes along the way. And Chef Jamie does a beautiful job at, you know, really ruling it out and showing that so many of the things that are so important to us and he expresses those so beautifully. And then you have to, to say, Kristen, we really, Jamie, you probably would agree. We couldn't have done this. I think Kristen Donnelly was so the right person for this task. Oh yeah. 
Yeah, she was um, really our, our, our fearless leader and rock on this journey of uh, organizing, you know, almost a thousand pages of content into something that's actually, you know, legible and interesting. Uh, yeah, I was corrected recently, Farmer Lee uh, and I were at the farm market and someone asked, how long did this take? And I said, about three and a half years. And please said, <laughs> no, it was like 35, 40 you years. You stood corrected. <laughs> Jamie and I are probably not known for our impeccable detail. And Kristen, she just, she was fearless right. at just keeping us on task and keeping us moving in the right direction. And it just, I'm so honored to have had her with us on this journey and Michelle DeMuth Bibb and Tristan. Tristan was amazing. We, I mean, Jamie couldn't have done what he did without Tristan having us back on this. It was just so much creativity yeah. and so much fun to pull it all together. We had plenty of fodder to work with, no pun intended. Oh my gosh. And you know what? I'm so glad you mentioned Kristen. So she and I have become a little bit acquainted recently because she started a podcast called Plant Out Loud. And I listened to your interviews, which were fantastic. I love that she was motivated after this project with you to, to basically say like, I, people need to know this. They need to understand the importance of plants. And I love that that um, spearheaded a project for her. So um, that was really, really exciting to see. And really her writing is beautiful. Your storytelling, you know, all of that was probably in your brain, right? Farmer Jones, it was just this accumulation. Did you keep journals and diaries or notes over the years, or tell me a little bit about the process, your part in sort of one day saying, today's the day we're going to start making plans for this book. How do you do that? You know, I really didn't. And it's, I don't know what part of the brain, if any part of the brain actually works, but some, a vegetable or a scenario prompts a story because there's just so many stories I mean, if you were to just sit and say, tell me a story right now, it's more difficult for me than if I'm driving down through the lane and I remember, you know, seeing the tomatoes planted, that it, it reminds me of a story from 40 years ago, and then I can talk about tomatoes. So it's more like things prompt the stories that I may even have forgotten until something happens. I mean, Jamie will hear a story from me that he's never heard before, and he's been hanging out here for eight years now. And it's like a farmer. I never heard that one before. As we went through this book with so many items and so many seasons, it just, it allowed the prompt of those stories. You know, I, I am a fan of one story in particular because we've talked about it. I was reading it. It was the last thing I read before we connected for our interview. It's the story that is in the chapter on sweet corn. Sweet corn is so... Ohio. It's so Americana. It's so simple. We just, I don't know. I don't know how much corn I eat in a year and I don't even think about it, but will you reflect for a moment on the story that you share at the start of that chapter? You know, which one I'm talking about? Well, you know, you can go back to when farmers were going in to get a loan from the bank. They had to uh, put down the number of children that they had because that was considered an asset because if they had a bigger family, then they had more of a workforce. Everybody worked on the farm. And at the time, you probably thought that it was unfair because other kids were going off and playing in Little League or doing some fun sport, and you were tasked with working. Now, we got our playtime, but you were raised to take care of the farm and do your work first. I'm the oldest in the family, and 
my job was to keep the blackbirds out of the sweet corn. Farmers have these things, they use them in cherry trees and blue, uh, blueberry, raspberries, but sweet corn as well. And they're, they're fueled by a propane tank like on your gas grill. And uh, then there's a little sparker and a timer. You can set them to go off every 30 seconds, every 10 seconds, every two minutes. And it sounds like a shotgun going off. And for about three, four days, they work really effectively. After that, the birds kind of adapt to them and they're like, oh, that's nothing. There's no fear to that. Right. So what was most effective was to go into the field with a shotgun about once an hour and to actually shoot a few blackbirds. And then the birds feared the cannon going off that was going off regularly. They told their friends that they needed to stay away. I think that, you know, we jokingly say that, but animals never cease to amaze me in their ability to communicate and survive and survive us humans that really don't understand the environment as well as yeah. they do maybe sometimes. So I was on a tractor. I was 11 years old. I was going into the field. I wasn't holding the gun over the end of the barrel, but I was holding the gun. My foot slipped off the clutch. The gun dropped. I reached to catch it to keep it from dropping. Something hit the trigger mechanism and it literally blew my finger off and it hit my thumb. I was in shock. I put a towel over it. I walked a half mile home. My mom wanted to look at it. I said, no, just take me to the hospital. I remember her driving down route two, literally driving 100 miles an hour. She was, <laughs> you're, you're a mom. You can imagine your little baby. For now sure. the babies, even at 21, they're always your babies. Right. But that your, right. your child is hurt. And it was a good lesson. I fortunately don't have a hook. And unfortunately, it didn't, you know, take my hand or my head off. But that's how it happened. I have, I kind of felt like it's almost like a rite of passage. When I was a kid, I'd go to an auction and see a farmer selling out. You would, a lot of times, equipment was just being built for the first time to replace horses. And safety wasn't the main feature. And it was just building the piece of equipment. So there were a lot of farmers that had lost an arm or had a hook. I kind of feel like it's mm. a rite of passage of the old school and new. Now, wouldn't do it again. Well, and people can't see you right now. That, and actually, I'm going to tell you, that wasn't the story I was thinking about. So you miss, you're missing what? Your finger, pointer finger, your pointer finger on what? Your right hand. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Are you? I don't know. I don't remember then. Um, no, it was the, it was this, it was a much, it was a much happier story. It was the one about you and your brother uh, grilling corn on your tractor. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I was thinking of the corn smut. We used to think that that the corn smut was poisonous and we would pick it and chase each other down the rows with it and try and scare each other with it. But yeah, when you pick the corn, there was nothing better than harvesting an ear of sweet corn and laying it along the manifold of the tractor. And when you got to the other end, you would turn it 180 degrees. Right. Get to the other end and you had a perfect roasted ear of corn. You didn't need butter. You didn't need water. You just needed the juice and the summer sun and the sugar from the corn. Just delicious. Uh, well, I I just, it captured my attention. And like I said, I, I had to read it right before we jumped on. Uh, but I actually now am glad I know the full story of your missing finger because <laughs> I don't think I've heard it. Jose Andreas said to ask, right? Yeah, I don't think I've heard it quite this way. Well, I want to backtrack just for a moment and give a little bit of perspective for people listening about the book. It's over 600 pages. It is a massive, beautiful book. It's got a foreword. Jamie's got a great 
uh, a great piece at the beginning about, um, you know, things from his perspective. It's a family story. You're talking about many aspects of the history of the farm. And then you've got personal stories woven all through it. But it is also, as the title suggests, a recipe book and a massive one at that. So, Jamie, how do you come up with this stuff? I mean, you're, to me, you're a mad scientist, you're a futurist, but you're also someone who brings back simplicity and purity to cooking. And it's such a paradox. Will you talk about that a little bit? We often say at the Institute, you know, we kind of look back in time just as often as we look into the future. You know, I, we have a library in the in the kitchen and um, there are there are cookbooks over 100 years old and they're so inspirational. You know, there's so many techniques that we've lost, especially with vegetables and preservation and waste management and sustainability. Um so we we take from all of those lessons, you know, we're, we're definitely looking and, and embracing technology. It, it helps us, you know, manage multiple things at once. But, you know, when, with vegetables, all we're really looking to do, especially with this book, is, is put specific ingredients on the pedestal. You know, like what is the turnip just really good at? You know, what is what is a carrot really good at being? Where 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 should we? you know, place rhubarb in this book in terms of technique, you know, and, you know, it's easy enough to lean into one technique and apply it to a bunch of different vegetables. Um, but it was really important to us to, to put those techniques in the right spot with the right vegetables on the right pedestal at the right time throughout every single section and manage waste throughout every single section. And, you know, like create an element of surprise and be inspirational to chefs and be possible for home cooks. That's pretty easy. And there's a really difficult <laughs> dynamic there that I, I think we found a, a good balance for. The way you just explained that is important because I think a lot of people, first of all, this is a beautiful book to just sit in your house and that would be tragic if someone bought it because it's beautiful and it looks great on a on a coffee table. Um, it's really meant to be used and savored. Right. Um, and I feel like if there was a masterclass in vegetables, this would be the textbook. You know, I think anybody could pick this up and really understand. Um, I, you just It just takes you right. deeper. And, um, you know, it may not be for everyone. I mean, I've had my book now for about a month. And I what I enjoy is I, I pick it up and I read a section um, I look at I look at some photos and actually because I've been to your farm and I've been to your um, the Culinary Vegetable Institute and I've, I've, I've done some events with you. I've seen some familiar things and, you know, because I've seen your writing in Edible Cleveland and some other places as a thought leader, both of you. Um, I'm, I'm a little bit more familiar with it than the average bear, but I have to tell you a, a story about an experience I had that really made everything kind of um, solidify in my mind. It was one of your vegetable showcase dinners. And I was, I was invited as a guest, which I really appreciated. And I got invited to the one on uh, about legumes. And I hung up and I was like, wow, legumes, what are, what are they going to do with that? <laughs> I mean, what a dumb question, but well, first we sat down and I'm pretty sure the cocktail in the book with the peace syrup, 
was was served at that at least that okay it looks like it in my photos and i wanted mm-hmm. to ask you it was yeah such a beautiful bright green drink so refreshing um it was an alcoholic drink but here it was made it colored naturally uh it was just exquisite but what really got me was uh one of the courses in that dinner was i don't know if it was a fava bean or what it was but it was a a, a beautiful gray plate with a bean with three three states of growth do you remember what i'm talking about yeah yeah i do well that's when i realized i think just sitting there wow we are only just now you are really just tapping into that very few people are doing that very few people get to see that kind of cooking correct and that was again very exquisite very um very unique i i'm probably never serving that to my family but the book also has plenty of things. Uh, I was reading Florence Fabricant's review, I guess, about the book or her summary. And she said, if you make nothing else, make the carrot pot roast. So, so tell, tell me what that is. Tell, tell everybody who's listening what that is. <laughs> you know, it's funny how certain recipes catch on and others, you know, you might just lose them in the pages. Uh, maybe it's the placement of where it landed, but that carrot pot roast has, has got some press. <laughs> Why do you think? Um, Are carrots just something that everybody understands? And, and most people understand that if you roast them, they get deeper, better, richer. We were just talking about it at the farmer's market on Saturday. You know, I think people are like, oh, my God, I never thought about roasting, you know, vegetables. But in the end of the day, oftentimes it's the it's the best part, you know, in that pot roast. It's the onions and the carrots and the soft celery and those other parts of mirepoix that really just do it. Mm -hmm. For this dish, we were after a, a really hearty, really rich gap in vegan cooking you know, a thing that, that you don't get a lot of. And it started with the, the braising liquid, you know, the, the, the vegetable demi. And now we have this vegetable demi. Um, what do you do with it? You know, what's the, 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 the what's the dish? Mm-hmm. And it became the carrot pot roast, just as something people could latch onto and understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, it, you know, don't stop at carrots, you know, go with celery roots and beets and parsnips, turnips, all the vegetables. Um, and that's sort of how that that one came to be. Mm, the recipe, just reading it, it made my mouth water. It, um, I don't know what it is either, but I have heard a lot about that one. So, but there is so much more. If you if you think you know lettuce, I guarantee that you do not know lettuce. Yeah. You know, if you think you know. The ex- if you think you're a very exploratory person with your root vegetables, you probably are not. You know, I mean, I was reading about the oka uh, and things that, again, we might not grow in our garden because we can't. Like, we, I don't think I could probably grow. Could I grow oka in my garden? Really? Yeah, I think you could. It takes a lot of care, right? It takes yeah. time. But I mean, and you know, and it's it's the technique in, in cooking it, but it's also, I think that there's this misconception that a carrot is a carrot is a carrot is a carrot. Right. And it's not true. The varietal offerings that are available, but and Jamie does a beautiful job at expressing, just like you were talking about with the legumes. One of the most important things that we've learned from chefs over the years is that at every single stage of the plant's life, it offers something unique to the plate. A great way to reduce waste because we don't have to just eat it at the at the size and the status that 
we are accepting it in the United States. Everybody thinks that a cucumber needs to be seven inches long and two and a half inches round, and that's the size you pick a cucumber or a carrot or anything. Yeah, and so everything reducing the waste is by finding, it's just like people saying that, you know, the only way to be able to save old heirloom varieties of tomatoes is to create a demand. And it's the same with carrots, is creating that demand. We're gonna, re we're gonna reduce the waste by having more ways to use them. And I mean, it's multifaceted in what you're trying mm -hmm. to do with that mm -hmm. dish. Well, I know that you've been, as part of this book, but really before that, you and and a lot of chefs who have come to visit famous chefs really who have come to visit you at the farm have been evangelizing for a long time that the the future is plant forward i think we were chatting recently about you know we've learned how to use the bulk of an animal we've learned how to take that cow and and do as much as we possibly can with that cow we're only scratching the surface with vegetables and you're really leading that yeah I think the farm has always really leaned into it and it's just a matter and always talked about it. Um, it's our job uh, in the industry is to get enough people around it and behind it um, that support it to really, you know, um, make it truth. Mm -hmm. Every part of a plant's life offers something unique to the plate. It's just, it's just it. Right. And, you know, if you go back to those old history books in agriculture or cooking, it, 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 it was it. We just forgot it and it landed in, in, in some aisle in the grocery store as one specific thing that we all get accustomed to and we expect it. And it's not right. I think what, what Farmer has always been doing in this place is ultimately what attracted me here. Farmer Lee, you and your family have already overcome one difficult time in, in the life of your farm and family. And now you find yourself rolling into a global pandemic and virtually all of your customers are, are closed or struggling. What was that like for your team? What was that like for you when you, you know, woke up the next day and you had to make some really tough decisions? Can you tell me about that? Well, the immediate response was fear and panic. And it took me immediately back to 19 years old when our family stood shoulder to shoulder and watched the entire farm be auctioned off. Um, it was a gut sickening feeling at the beginning of this pandemic. I mean, the first week, I don't think any of us had any comprehension and maybe even into the first month or first six months that this thing, I mean, naively, we thought this thing was going to blow over pretty quickly, but it was one of those gut-wrenching feelings that I had experienced before at 19 and hoped I had would never experience or my family or our team would ever experience. And it was very quickly, not what are we going to do? It's just roll up our sleeves and we're going to do something. Even if it's wrong, even if it's not perfect, we're going to move forward and we're going to do everything we can for base hits. And it became about the goal was survival. And I tell you, I have never been more proud to work with a team because we went to battle and we were in a battle for survival. And we also looked at what can we do to help? Because this issue isn't about our farm and it's not about our family or even our team. It was a bigger global issue. People had fear just like we did. 
and but their fear was even further because we knew we were going to eat. People were afraid to go to a grocery store. They wanted to know that there was somebody conscientious, someplace they knew or trusted that they could get food delivered from the back door of our farm to the front door of their home. And we were able to do that. And if we, able, we were able to provide a service to them and it kept us alive. It, you know, it was a beginning new business, brand new business, but it was a way to be able to provide a value and give us purpose and to keep fighting and driving forward. Well, you certainly did make some new inroads. And I think as a result of your tenacity and your intuition, and maybe even a little bit of, of, you know, gut-wrenching fear because you've experienced something before, it pushed you in a direction that at the end of the day, I think a lot of new people discovered the chef's garden and what you're all about, uh, not just here, but of course, across the country. So uh, that's obviously something that everybody will be telling their their children and their grandchildren about um, when they reflect back on this year. Well, for sure. I mean, I think that <laughs> that first month was on adrenaline. I had a point about 30 days in, and the thing that was so humbling was the overwhelming, the difference between the last time and this time. The last time we had nobody to rally to our support and the overwhelming amount of help from chefs across the country that bought boxes that put those out socially and digitally and cooked at home and then said buy these boxes from our farmer friend i about 30 days in i sat at the at the kitchen table and just wept at the overwhelming amount of support just it was just mind-boggling how many people were in this to help us I know you were kind of at the end of that, but I'm well. I'm seeing you get choked up and yeah. um and feeling it very acutely. And, and some of them right next. I mean, Jamie and Morgan, Tristan. I mean, it's unfair. I mean, there was just a group here at the farm, but then it, it just reached so far beyond that that they're like, no, we need you to stay. I think the Northeast Ohio and beyond food community rallied. For sure. And as a consumer, we all had to make very hard decisions. We were forever changed in that we really understood the close connection to our food supply. And those of us that have already discovered the the bounty and the riches that we have here from our local farmers and local makers and purveyors, um, it was no surprise, but it became very, very important. Uh, thank you for that. It was very touching to see I know our listeners can't see you, but that was very moving for you to recount. And I really appreciate you sharing it with us. Farming is a tough business and you've had to make some pivots. Tell me a little bit about those pivots, what you added to your repertoire this year and how you, you know, sort of ideated where you go from here. Well, I think that the, you know, the crisis in the eighties probably prepared us for the crisis of 2020. But there are a lot of crises on a farm every year. These two were just most visible. And you learn to deal with them. And you learn that that's part of farming. And, you know, we just rolled up our sleeves and said, let's get after it. And we've been down this path before. And it was never a question of, you know, do we quit here while the quitting's good? You just kept going. I, I've said this so many times. We made a lot of lemonade last year because we got handed a lot of lemons, truckloads of lemons. 
and Jamie and Tristan, I mean, everybody, but in particular, Jamie and Tristan were, I mean, probably the listeners know what deadheading is. And in our greenhouse that's full of edible flowers prepared for really one of our busiest seasons with edible flowers going into March and April with weddings and all kinds of parties, edible flower season that April, May, June season is huge numbers for us. And again, not knowing how long this thing's gonna go, normally we're picking those flowers in replace of deadheading them. You're picking them and putting them in a package and they're going to a restaurant but we're picking them and throwing them on the ground. And Jamie goes in and literally just, no, no, we can't do this. And lo and behold, you know, he makes tea and not just any tea. I mean, it's an incredible tea. And Jamie can jump in here, but I mean, they made beet marmalades and carrot marmalade and pepper marmalade. And we took sweet potatoes that were excess and make dog treats. I mean, uh, we converted the Culinary Vegetable Institute, which is normally reserved for chef visits, to Airbnb. And if somebody wanted a safe haven to be able to stay someplace without going to a hotel, they could come there and have a good, clean, safe environment. Uh, Jamie, what else? I know I'm only scratching the You surface. had been producing honey, right? But you started to sell it. Yeah, well, we had to change the format, you know, and the with restaurants, they would receive whole frames of honey at six or seven pound increments. And for home delivery, it's too just too much. You know, we, we really tried to lean into, you know, the stuff you can make from the stuff that we grow, you know, mm-hmm. and thing, this is really generally a function of waste management. It's something we should have been doing for decades. Um, mm-hmm. We didn't have the opportunity to to focus on these piles of beets before. Um, so it was really a valuable um, project overall. Mm-hmm. Well, and lucky for us, one of the last things I want to talk about in this, which is part one of two interviews we're going to do today, the farm stand is really something that you brought back from your past. And to our to all of our benefit, uh, we were all able to come up there and purchase vegetables that those those amazing high caliber, high quality, beautiful vegetables that were destined for restaurants all around the country. We we're actually able to go to the farm stand and purchase those vegetables. Can you tell me, I think it's open for the season. Can you tell me a little bit about where that's at right now? Can I take two seconds real quick? Um, where you said you brought it back from your past. I just want to clarify that Farmer Lee literally drug it down the street by a tractor and landed it uh, from, you know, 30 years ago of sitting in a field somewhere. So that, I'll let you pick that up from there. But yeah, it came back from the past. Literally. he He's like Samson. I mean, if he could have lifted it and, and dragged it on his own, I know he would have. That is the tenacity and the perseverance that I have seen from you this year, you know, you've, you've told it beautifully. You have a lot of champions, a lot of fans. I think a lot of new people discovered you, um, this year in a different way. Uh, I think that's pretty exciting. Well, I'm going to wrap up our part one and we will continue this conversation with a little bit more of a focus on the vegetables in the book and the recipes in the book. So for now, we'll just say, 
see you later because I will see you later and we will bring the part two interview back to our listeners very shortly. Thank you very much, Farmer Lee Jones, Jamie Simpson, Executive Chef with the Chef's Garden. And thank you for being on the CLE Foodcast today. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. That was so fun. As I mentioned earlier, I'll be releasing part two of this interview where we talk more about the contents in the book and other topics related to the work being done at the Chef's Garden. If you want to get your hands on this book, please shop a local bookseller if you can. My favorites are Apple Tree Books in Cleveland Heights, Visible Voice Books in Tremont, and The Learned Owl in Hudson. CLE Foodcast is a project of Fork in the Road Productions, and it sounds awesome thanks to the editing and sound engineering of Bill Connors. CLE Foodcast is supported by KDK12 Studios. Let Matt and Ron help you with custom art, design, and print work. They make teas, mugs, painted portraits, printed cards, and a whole lot more. Get started at kdk12studios.com. Thank you for being here and following along. Send me a direct message on our CLE Foodcast Facebook page or through Instagram if you have an idea of a topic or a person we should interview. Have a great week. And remember, stay hungry, be kind, and always, always set a bigger table.